Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Euphoric, the innovative, patent, hemp oil-infused chewing gum that the entire CBD industry is talking about. I'll be back after our first story to tell you a little bit more about Euphoric and a special offer they have for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin. <laughs> it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about frightening phone calls, malevolent meetings, and revealing photographs, but not the kind you're thinking. I'm Otis Gyrie host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its fourth season, and available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found. Filling in for Steve Taylor, 
Tonight, I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actors Jason Hill and Heather Thomas. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight, voiced by Jason Hill, is a Chilling Tales original by author Seth Paul, inspired by the brand new hard rock single from heavy metal legend Slipknot, entitled Birth of the Cruel. In Seth's tale, we meet a gentleman looking to drink his problems away following a tragic accident involving his sister. When he stumbles upon a motley crew in his local bar, he can't help but shift his focus to what they're doing and ends up learning a thing or two about the darker side of humanity. Without further ado, I present to you Birth of the Cruel, Together We Burn. I was drinking my sorrows away at the bar when I first noticed them. Everyone else seemed to move right by, not giving them a second glance, but I couldn't understand why. They sat in a booth, having drinks, laughing, but not doing a lot of talking. They just stared at the people who came and went, almost leering, like they knew some big secret that they weren't telling anybody. If they were goths, it would have made a lot more sense, but there was no makeup. No fishnet shirts or black hair or dour expressions. They almost looked homeless. But even then, there was more to it than that. One had misshapen fingers that were bent back or stunted. One had several missing teeth, and the rest filed to points. One had a blind glassy eye, and one appeared fairly normal with the exception of extensive burn marks along his arms and neck. I couldn't help but stare back once I became aware of them. It was such an odd crew, just sitting there. I don't even remember seeing anyone give them their drinks, but they had them. Drinking and ogling. Drinking and ogling. I finished my cocktail, put some cash on the counter, and went over to their booth. I would like to think the reason why I approached them was that I was a few sheets short of full-blown drunkenness. But it was more than that. I was curious. I couldn't help it. Like a magnet to a pile of iron shavings. Of course, as I came, they stared at me, grinning and laughing as they had been. The one with the filed teeth unnerved me, but it didn't scare me away. The one with the burns rested his chin in one hand leaning on the table. "'Can we help you?' he asked. I stammered, not quite knowing how to react, at which he waved his other hand. "'Take a strong man to walk over here and talk to the likes of us. Why'd you do it?' "'I... Well, I, I just saw you sitting here and... "'Saw us sitting here and wanted to... What? Say hello. Ha <laughs> ha. Well...' Like we're old friends, eh? <laughs> the others laughed again. No. I, I just thought you... Looked out of place. Ah, of course we do. That's because we are, and we're glad of it. 
He slid down the booth and patted the seat next to him. Join us. It's fine. We're not big on new company, but it's not every day someone comes to us. I sat down, and almost immediately my nose was hit by a foul stench. It wasn't just the scent of unwashed clothing and bodies. It was more. Something more rancid, old, earthen. I was pressed in tightly to the seat, and even as my arm brushed against the burned man's clothes, feeling the tattered fabric, I didn't flinch away, even though my mind wanted me to. I'm Joshua. The burned man touched his chest and then pointed to the one with the odd fingers. That is Matthew. Sharpteeth was next. That is Daniel. The blind one, without waiting for Joshua, touched his own chest. Nathaniel, but call me Nate. Nobody does. More laughter. More drinking. A bored waitress came by and set down more glasses, one even in front of me, and left. That was the first time I saw anybody other than me come to their table, and she didn't even look up at them. Have a drink, Joshua said as he eyed the glass, then me. But I didn't order. We always order an extra just in case. Matthew usually ends up having it, but it's yours tonight. I had to admit, it did look enticing. It was the kind of drink I usually ordered, and nobody had touched the glass yet. I shrugged and tipped it back. More guffaws, even some backslapping. It tasted good. Nothing special, but it helped push my blues away somewhat. Matthew finished his drink and let the glass slip through his stubby fingers onto the table. So, what brings you to a place like this on a cold October evening? My sister's in the hospital. Car accident. A loud collective, aww, went up on the table. It sounded very insincere. And what happened? She have a few drinks and decide the world was her own personal speedway? I was taken aback by the joke. I almost got up from the table, but something inside had me glued to my seat. No, I was driving and the car went off the road and she didn't have her seatbelt on. It was a few days ago. I've been... I've been at home or the hospital since then. Daniel frowned. It hit his teeth well, and I was glad for it. Is she in a lot of pain? I don't know. She's not responsive, so she can't tell us anything. Daniel slammed his fist on the table. Damn it! That's always the most important part! He flashed those horrid teeth of his again. This time, I really went to stand up, but Joshua put a hand on my shoulder. No, 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 don't leave yet. We tend to have a very dark sense of humor. It's the way we see the world is all. Doesn't seem like it's a very good outlook. Hmm, well, it all depends on your viewpoint. We consider ourselves people watchers. <laughs> on the outside, looking in. Joshua turned his head and watched a man getting out his keys, stumbling slightly towards the door. Nobody else seemed to be noticing him leave. For instance, I have a feeling this place is going to get sued in the morning. So, be sure to drink up now. Shouldn't we stop him? <laughs> and get involved with people? <laughs> what would he say if I came up to him and told him to call a cab? He'd push me away. I'm not someone he cares about. None of us are. We are broken. But we are the wiser for it. Joshua sipped his drink. 
Behind me, the front door jingled open and then shut. I wanted to get up and try to do something, but my feet were leaden. Why wasn't I doing anything? Broken? I asked. What do you mean by that? Nate leaned over the table, his milky eye somehow looking at me more intently than his good one. Look at us, buddy. Do we look like the kind of people you normally walk around with? Matthew nodded. We've all been rejected, and that's fine with us. Why be a part of it? We've seen what it's truly like. We're not missing much. Yes, Joshua concurred, setting his glass down and rubbing my shoulder vigorously. That smell came wafting back again, and along with it came something I hadn't noticed before. A scent like fried bacon. We are wiser because we know what lurks in humanity and choose not to be a part of it. He looked down at the half-empty glass. Well, unless we absolutely have to. But even that's part of the fun. They suddenly all stood up. And for the first time since I sat down, I found my legs and got up out of the booth. Joshua threw something onto the table. I thought at first he was paying for the bill, but upon a second glance, the wad didn't look like money. He saw my double take and smiled. Oh, that. Just a tip. She won't want to take the advice, but she should. <laughs> come, come, come. In a daze, I found myself following them outside, walking the streets, seeing the city around us passing by with but a few lonely stragglers making their way home, or wherever, heads down and ignoring us. Even as Daniel and Matthew whooped and hollered and ran back and forth, no one gave us any attention. Joshua moved in close to me once more. See? No one cares about us. We're right here. Sometimes in their faces, but they move on, either not seeing or not caring to see. They have better things to do. To pay attention to us would mean taking a moment out of their busy lives to stare an ugly reality in the face, and most don't. The true cruelty of the world is too much to comprehend. But I saw you. I realized I still had the drink glass from the bar in my hand. I would have to remember to take it back. Yes, you did. Why do you think that is? I... don't know. Oh, I think you do. You just don't know that you know. We passed beneath endless street lamps, twisting through alleys, walking across a deserted park until finally we arrived at a four-story building. It was dark on the inside, with shattered windows all along the exterior. The October wind picked up a few scattered leaves across our path as Nate pushed the door open and waved us all inside. The stench of urine and old garbage came to me and I nearly gagged, but Joshua's smell soon masked it as I reeled back into him. He grabbed my shoulders and with a gentle push guided me forward. Although I had not seen my lights outside, a dull white light lit up a concrete walled staircase inside, and we climbed it, our footsteps echoing along the hard surfaces. Daniel screamed out, his voice dreadfully loud in the enclosed space. But still I moved on, 
following them to the third floor doorway and out onto what may have once been an office space, but was now devoid of furniture. It was a huge space, littered with abandoned supplies and old painting tarps, and the wind whistled through the broken glass. Inexplicably, I could see, even though there was no clear source of light. There was what filtered in through the windows, but as far as I could tell, the building itself had no power. Daniel ran to a window and yelled once more out into the night. Nate went to another, but looked out quietly, as a standing guard. Matthew dug through a pile of debris and found some old magazines, which he started flipping through as well as his fingers allowed him to. Joshua, in the meantime, leaned against a wall and glared across the expanse of the floor. Even though he did the least of anyone else, he was the one who held my attention, and I waited for him to do something. Anything. To speak again. Whether it was to speak to me again or give an order to this weird family. Is this where you all live? Joshua shook his head. Oh, we don't live anywhere. We go wherever we want, whenever we want, and we don't care if anyone owns it or not. A loud metallic clang startled me and I turned to see Daniel kicking an old can of acetone across the floor, the rusty can still sloshing with the liquid inside. Joshua sighed and rolled his eyes. Respect, Daniel, I am talking here. Daniel giggled grabbed a piece of cardboard and started picking his teeth with it. Joshua seemed about to speak again when Nate waved to everyone. She's coming down the sidewalk again. Everyone walked to where Nate was watching, except for Daniel who ran to it, cardboard hanging from his cat-like jaws. I went as well and looked down on a lone figure in a pink hoodie, making her way as quickly as she could across the park. Who is she? Matthew waved one of his mangled hands vaguely at her. Every evening that we're here, she comes walking by. She's a college student, lives at home. Doesn't tell her parents she comes this way. She thinks it's safe. But she's never noticed how often she just misses them over there. I followed the path of his twisted index finger to another abandoned building where dark shapes moved inside. I couldn't tell what they looked like or how many of them there were, but I knew at least somebody, or something, was in there. One of these days she won't be so lucky, but when that day will be, no one really knows. Maybe today, Daniel cackled and slapped his hands on the broken windowsill. One hand caught a piece of glass. He didn't even seem to notice as his hand began leaving behind smears of blood wherever it came into contact. We all watched as the object of our fascination wandered ever closer to the other building. The others got more and more excited but me. I held my breath, my heart pounding. Nothing was right about any of this. Why had I come here? What was I doing, letting these people take me far away from home? None of this made any sense. A dark shape appeared in the doorway. The young woman stopped, saw it, and screamed. I still could not make out the shape as it darted from the door chasing her. She sprinted in the opposite direction, towards the building we were in. The others with me laughed. Daniel, of course, was the loudest. 
but even Joshua had a quiet chuckle at her expense. How can you laugh? I cried. What did she do to deserve this? Joshua turned to me, facing me directly, and he put his hand on my shoulder again. Because we aren't like her, he said matter-of-factly. We aren't part of her world. We've all seen the cruelty of their world and realize we are well removed from it. Don't you agree? Why would I agree? What are you talking about? Your accident. Was that what it truly was? Was it really? Suddenly, in my mind, but almost projected in front of me, I saw myself in the car. My sister next to me. We were arguing again. We argued a lot. She told me all about how she didn't understand why she had to go. To be out on her own. Out at college with her friends. This place was dead to her. The city choking her off. And she needed her space. Why would I keep her from that? I... I had had enough... That's why. I had grown tired of the arguments, the endless fighting. She never wanted to help anyone. She was so independent and selfish and never wanted to understand where I was coming from. She had all the answers, and I had none. I remember twisting the wheel on the car and jumping the curb. I saw the tree in front of us. I woke up with some cuts on my forehead, my ears bleeding one broken finger. She had been thrown through the windshield. No. No, 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 no. I hadn't wanted to hurt her. She was my sister. Or did I? Or was I only trying to hurt myself? Either way, the end result was the same. The vision stopped replaced by another. I saw a man bent over another, beating him ferociously with his bare hands, breaking bones and ripping flesh. The face looked familiar, but the hands did not. These were whole, unblemished. At least, they were. The process of tearing the other man to pieces was doing a fine job turning them to stumps. Their clothes were out of place. They reminded me of movies from the 1940s. The vision changed again. A beautiful house. But dated. Like one I had seen pictured at historical museums. Another somewhat familiar face looking through a keyhole. As moans sounded on the other side. He went to a dresser and removed two items... Revolver and a hat pin. He checked the revolver, shut it, and then turned to the door. Before he went to it, though, he grabbed the hat pin and turned it towards the eye that had been looking through the keyhole. Another change. The dead of winter. A covered wagon. Frozen bodies everywhere. A lone figure sat in the snow, covered in warm blankets and furs grabbing fistfuls of flesh from a woman, still warm, breathing heavily and looking at him in shock and terror. The figure threw the long, bloody knife aside 
eating some unidentifiable organ, and laughed. Then a final vision. A man in robes, wearing a long beaked mask dissecting the body of a small child. No. No, not dissecting, or what was the word? Vivisecting. The boy looked up, whining and whimpering, his body covered in boils. A door to the room, despite being heavily barricaded, buckled and bent under the force of many people pushing and shouting. Then the man smiled, touched the dying boy under his chin, and then threw a vial of some liquid on the ground. The unmistakable smell of smoke rose in the air. And it all ended. I looked around the room. You... You're all monstrous. Joshua smiled. And yet you've seen us. That can only mean one thing. You're destined to be with us. You know what you've done. You know how cruel the world can be. It's time to leave it behind. Watch with us. I shook my head and backed away, but I slipped and fell. The glass I had been holding shattered, my head landed on it. My ear, still smarting from the accident, was bleeding when I lifted my head. No. No, I couldn't have meant to hurt her. I couldn't. Does it matter? You needed to find comfort, and you did what was needed. You know what awaits you for what you've done. Join us, and you need not suffer any further, because we don't suffer. Suffering is beneath us. I slid back and reached behind me as the four began to move closer. I threw boxes, debris, anything I could find as they came at me. One of the items sloshed when I grabbed it. I looked at it and saw that it was the can of acetone Daniel had been kicking earlier. The top was far too rusty to try and open, so I grabbed a broken piece of wood and stabbed the container, and from the hole a few drops and a pungent smell wafted out. I threw the open container which splashed on Joshua, a trail leading from me to where it landed. I took my sister's lighter, flicked it, and tapped into the acetone trail. The fire blazed to life in an instant. The flames leapt onto Joshua, engulfing him, and then overtook the debris around him. The whole floor began to light up, and the other three backed away. I stood and looked back to the exit. The stairwell. I ran for it. Then, heard a voice calling to me. My name. Had I ever told them my name? Joshua stood amidst the flames. He was surrounded by them, but they didn't touch him. His clothes and skin remained unscathed and intact. You may run, but we are always here. Watching. You don't know it, but we burn. Oh, we burn. Together. The other three came through the smoke, standing next to Joshua, 
smiling their cruel smiles. Overwhelmed, I blacked out. The sudden jab of a finger brought me back to my senses. Hey, we're closing, a nearby bartender chided me. You can't stay here. I looked around and I saw I was back in the bar. I checked the clock on the wall. 2 a.m. How did I get back here? Had I ever even left? What was it all? On the TV above the bar where the bartender who had poked me awake was sweeping was the image of a building downtown. An abandoned office building ablaze. The scenes of a reporter talking to a young woman in a torn pink hoodie. She was crying. She described how she had been attacked, but that the fire had scared off her assailants. She was real. She was alive. If I hadn't tried to escape, she would have been killed. If... Oh, if I had joined them. I felt my ear. A large cut ran along its edge. The bartender looked up from her sweeping and caught a glimpse of my injury. Wow. Was there some glass on the bar? Jesus, that looks like it hurts. I'll be all right, I assured her. I have to go to the hospital anyway. I would have been too late to visit my sister at the time, but in the morning I would. And the day after that. And the day after that. Until she got well. That night I saw what it was like to be broken. Now, I'm wiser. Now, I have a chance to fix it. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed Birth of the Cruel, Together We Burn, by Seth Paul, as performed by Jason Hill, and written exclusively for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights to celebrate the newest release from heavy metal band Slipknot. The band's newest album, We Are Not Your Kind, is now available on Amazon, iTunes, and wherever else digital music can be found. Up next, we've got a tale for you from the gentleman behind the blog, Collins Home for the Damned, as performed by Heather Thomas, about a family going, experiencing the terminal illness of a loved one at the turn of the century, hoping to have a portrait taken before it's too late. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Euphoric, the innovative, patented hemp oil-infused chewing gum that the entire CBD industry is talking about. Now... I know most of you in our audience have heard a lot about CBD and health-related products lately. And of course, you've all tried your fair share of gum, not to mention other health products in the market, with all sorts of benefits, whether it be to help reduce stress and anxiety or to help improve your memory and energy. With all this in mind, I know you're probably asking, what makes Euphoric so special? Well, let me tell you. Euphoric hemp oil-infused chewing gum is not your average gum. In fact, it's an innovative patented delivery system. As a chewing gum, Euphoric brings innovation to the CBD market in that its patented delivery system is time-released and all the action happens in the mouth. The gum's flavor and consistency make it possible to chew it longer. Chewing the hemp oil-infused gum longer increases absorption in the mouth. In fact, Euphoric hemp oil-infused chewing gum has the best absorption rate on the market, 84%. Compared to edibles like gummies and tinctures, uh, even capsules, Euphoric's absorption rate is about 50% greater. This is because edibles have to pass through the digestive tract, which breaks down the ingredients and drastically reduces their absorption rate. Euphoric, however keeps the hemp oil-infused gum in the mouth longer, completely bypassing the digestive system. Plus, chewing in and of itself makes sense with a superior product like Euphoric in that chewing has its own health and wellness benefits. The simple act of chewing has scientifically been shown to improve brain health, including memory and cognitive function, as well as reduce anxiety. Euphoric combines these powerful chewing benefits with the heavily researched benefits of full-spectrum hemp oil, which is rich in naturally occurring phytocannabinoids, including CBD. Full-spectrum hemp oil is superior in that it offers many naturally occurring phytocannabinoids, including CBD that work together synergistically. This is called the entourage effect, essentially meaning that a team of Phytocannabinoids work best together with any one that's isolated. It's a party in your mouth, and that's why Euphoric is the best gum you'll ever chew. 
Not only is Euphoric legal in all 50 states, but it's gluten-free and non-GMO as well, and manufactured in a GMP-certified and FDA-registered facility. It's also rich in omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, and supports dental health by utilizing xylitol instead of unnecessary sugars. In fact, Euphoric was formulated by an international team of doctors and oral surgeons. Best of all, it tastes great and has a long-lasting mint flavor to rival any ordinary gum. My team and I got to try a complimentary pack of the gum these past few weeks, and let me tell you, the taste is incredible, and after just a few short hours, not even days, we were already feeling the euphoric difference. The gum's effects are not exaggerated. We could literally feel the stress of the day melting away after allowing the gum a bit of time to work its magic. And thanks to euphoric, we were able to increase our productivity and enjoy a more relaxing day with fresher breath to boot. Oh, and for those of you concerned about hemp and CBD-related products, and perhaps new to products containing these oils, the product does not produce a high and is both discreet and convenient. It can be used anywhere, at any time, to assist you in being your very best. You only need to try Euphoric once to see what all the fuss is about. To prove it, a limited supply of free trials have just been released nationwide. Just visit this website, chewthisgum.com, to claim your free trial today while supplies last. Again, that website is chewthisgum.com. Chewthisgum.com. Thanks so much for your time and for giving Euphoric a try this month. You won't be sorry you did. Well, now that we've assisted you in relaxing with the help of our friends at Euphoric, allow me to issue you a challenge. Let's see how calm you can be in the face of another terrifying tale. From Collins' Home for the Damned, as brought to life by voice actress Heather Thomas, I present to you the awful thing we did to Eliza. Dad said a man was coming from the city to photograph us tomorrow. I never had a photograph taken of me before. My parents had one taken with James when he was a baby. Eliza and I weren't born yet. The picture sits over our mantle, embroidered in a gold frame. Dad always promised he'd have one taken of all of us when we had the money. He'd say we'd have one of our whole family together. Now, he says it's better late than never. James and I are in the living room, drawing. Mom and Dad are seated at the kitchen table, drinking water and tea leaves. Mom is crying quietly. Catherine, Dad says, we can't let this kill us. It's the best we could do. We could have done better, Mom mumbles. A better doctor. Something. She trails off. There isn't anything we could have done differently, Dad says. We did what we could with the time we had. 
the Lord needed her back. Mom lets out a moan. Upstairs, Eliza is in her best Sunday dress. My mother made her look very pretty. Like she's sleeping. Dr. Coffett came to visit a few days ago. Eliza was moaning for hours before. My mother had come in to take care of her, and I was to move to James's room. All night, I heard her retching. When Dr. Coffett was leaving the next day, I asked him what was wrong with her. Well, sweetheart, your little sister is very sick, but I promise you I'll do everything I can. He smiled a lazy smile at me. I counted two gold teeth. After he leaves, Mother tells me Eliza has a bad fever. She tells me I can go up and see her if I like, but not to wake her. The stairs creak as I climb. It's dark upstairs, and very still. I reached our room and quietly opened the door. The two windows on the other side of the room had the shades drawn, blocking out almost all of the sun, even though our room was facing it. Tiny rays fell at the foot of Eliza's bed where she lay, hidden except for her face. Her forehead was red and wet, her dark hair matted against it. I touched it. It was so hot. She was breathing quickly. The man from the city is downstairs. He and Dad talk about how much a daguerreotype photograph costs. Mother and I are in Eliza's in my room. She is brushing Eliza's hair. I put the flowers we picked today around her. I don't like looking at her. I've seen a dead person before. I was at my Uncle Jed's burial. He was killed by two men who robbed his house. He ran after them and they shot him dead. But... Even with those little holes in his cheek and the black circles under his eyes, I could tell there was something certain, definite about him. Eliza didn't have that. She very well could have been alive, except for that stillness. It was the stillness which scared me. All the signs of her sleeping were there save for the gentle up-and-down motion of her chest and the light whistle of air from her nostrils. When you see a behavior so many times, you begin to expect all the signs to be present. Seeing such a vital few missing was disconcerting. My mind tries to make sense of it, but the effort brings on a slow, tired, nauseous feeling. I want to leave the room. Catherine? Are you ready? Dad's voice echoes from downstairs. We are. Mom's voice breaks and doesn't carry. Yes, Dad. I finish. Footsteps begin on the stairs. Dad enters, followed by the man with the camera. 
James slips in behind them, looking as though he didn't think he should be here, or didn't want to be here. I couldn't tell which. The man with the camera is very tall, like Dad, with dark hair and a thick, dark beard. His face could have been whittled from wood, it was so lined. He looks from me to Eliza and steps over to the bed to examine her. If, as you say, he says in a thick German accent, gesturing to my father, you would like to make this a picture of the family rather than a memorial, I will need to decorate the girl to make her appear alive. He takes a small paint set from his pocket. I will decorate her eyes to make them appear open, if this is acceptable. My father looks to my mother, who, holding a tissue to her eyes, nods. Turning, he descends to one knee beside Eliza's bed. His back is to us. A few minutes later, he stands up and says, I believe she is ready. We look behind him at Eliza. The man had painted a set of eyes onto her eyelids. Thin black paint outlined the shape, in the middle of which sat a brown iris around jet black pupils. He had also drawn thin flecks over the eyes for eyelashes. They weren't grotesque or frightening. They were just off. Eliza's eyes were blue, not brown. But that wasn't it. Mom once said between life and death was a barrier, a wall which we cross over only once. The eyes on Eliza seemed to bring her back over that wall, even if the eyes were a little abnormal. I felt a mixture of hope and uneasiness. The man asks if we are ready. As we group together around Eliza's bed, the man, now behind the camera, says, One more thing. The exposure will take 40 to 50 seconds, so if you will, please remain as still as possible in order to minimize any blurriness. I suppose Eliza's face would come out crystal clear. On the count of three. Eliza was buried the next day. We held a funeral for her at St. Catherine's Church and buried her in the graveyard next to it. Mom howled when the casket was closed. I guess it's because that's when she knew she wouldn't ever see Eliza again. The tiny coffin looked very odd to me. James, my dad, and two men I didn't know carried her outside. I could tell James was struggling with the back corner, but he still did all right. A lot of people came out, all wearing black. Eliza was in white. They washed the paint off her eyes before they put her in. 
she still made me uncomfortable. I didn't know why. We put the photograph in its own gold frame. It was put right in the middle of the mantel. It was always nice to walk by and look at. It was helpful to remember what she looked like. You stop seeing a person, and for some reason, their face begins to fade. You can't quite remember what they looked like, or the specific features that made them, them. A few weeks later, I was looking at the photograph again. I did it less often now, but I still stopped from time to time. I was looking at Eliza, but I was also looking at myself. I liked seeing my face. I knew what I looked like, but somehow seeing my face in the photograph was different from looking in a mirror, or seeing your reflection in a pond. I also felt badly because I knew Eliza would never see a picture of herself. She would never know what she looked like when she was younger. She would never watch herself grow up. Hot tears burn in my eyes as I look at her. Painted eyes behind the gray of the picture. A look on her face, and almost sad. I stopped. I didn't know what it was, but I could feel a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. I started to feel cold. Something was out of place. Something was wrong. I stared at Eliza's face just above the blankets, looking for the thing that had registered growing dread in my subconscious, but which I couldn't readily focus on. It was something instinctual, I felt. I knew fear, but I didn't know why. I squinted at the photograph, at the thinness of her cheeks made even more apparent in the light from the camera, at her pursed lips and her drawn-on eyes. I knew I was looking right at it, but I couldn't see it. I felt as if I were lost in the woods at night, knowing there was something just beyond my eyesight, something monstrous and heinous, glaring back at me, grinning as I frantically searched for it, knowing I can't find it. As I stared at the photograph, my fear turned slowly to dark, clammy terror. Nausea rolled over me, my hands quivered, and for my own life, I did not know what was wrong. And then, I saw it. I saw it because I remembered what the man with the camera had said that day, what I had thought, and that fact slid slowly into place in the forefront of my mind like a heavy gray stone. The idea clicked solidly with my fear of something terribly unnatural, terribly wrong, and my primal fear was suddenly explained. The room spun as the realization dawned upon me as a numb, raw shock crashed into me. I wondered how I couldn't have noticed it before, as I recalled how many weeks it's been since the burial, 
and how tired or drunk Mr. Coffet had looked the last time he came by. As wrenching disbelief crept up my spine, and every nerve in my body fired blank terror. Eliza was blurry. I hope you enjoyed the awful thing we did to Eliza by Collins' Home for the Damned, as performed by Heather Thomas. Up next, we get in our terror time machine and move from the turn of the century back to modern times and current-day catastrophes with a sinister story about the dark side of Internet trends and which poses the question, how well do you know your neighbors? From author J.R.T. McMahon, as brought to life by voice actor Jason Hill, I present to you, Never Meet Your Number Neighbor. Has anyone else seen the post yet? The guy messages someone whose phone number is identical to his apart from the last digit, which is either one number up or down. I scrolled past it like any other post you see on the internet, gave it a quick chuckle and continued like any other time. The idea was pretty absurd, I thought, especially with how easy it is to look someone up these days. Not to mention, you'd have the same area code, and there are a lot of lunatics out there looking for a reason. Those thoughts came and went, and before I knew it I was going about my day as usual when I felt my pocket buzz. My hands were full of groceries at the time, so I didn't pay much attention to it, but it continued to buzz at random intervals. When I finished putting everything away, I was able to reach into my pocket and pull my phone out. Hello? The text read. That was all. And of course it was from a number I didn't recognize. So I replied, asking who it was. Already subscribed to the idea that someone had simply dialed the wrong number. I didn't get a response. I continued doing my chores without interruption until the sun began to set, and my pocket vibrated again. It startled me as it had been several hours since the individual's first message. I figured they realized their mistake and just moved on, but there they were again. Another message. What time is it where you are? The message completely ignored my earlier inquiry and I nearly decided to just block the number after that. I scoffed when I read the number to myself. It was the same area code as mine, so why were they asking me what time it was? That's when I had the chance to go over the number in my head. You don't say your own number out loud very often, so it can be pretty easy not to recognize it immediately upon seeing it. But there it was every digit in the string the same as mine, with the exception of the last one, which was a four instead of a three. That was at least one mystery solved in my mind, and the realization gave me some slight relief. I got a quick chuckle from it and decided to play along. Maybe I'd get a good screen grab from it that people could share around. I replied that at the same time where I was that it should be for my number neighbor. I wanted the person to know that I was picking up what they were putting down, so to speak. Is it hot where you are? A new text asked. This message came in much faster. 
I was already getting the feeling that this person was either confused or was having a one-way conversation. Or, perhaps, they were just trying to lure me into saying something stupid so they could post it online. It was the middle of summer and it was quite warm out, but I wasn't about to play into the person's game. So I lied, replying that my AC was running full blast due to the heat and that I was pretty comfortable. Almost immediately, the next message came through, the vibration from the notification shaking my hand. Your AC isn't on, it read. I must have read the message about 50 times. With each letter ingrained in my eyesight, I felt a chill run along my body. The feeling wasn't from the cool air blasting in from my air conditioner because, as the text correctly stated, it wasn't on. It was currently off because I had decided to just deal with the heat in an effort to lower my electric bill. When I finally managed to lift my gaze from the glowing screen, I quickly scanned around my living room, paying particular attention to the windows. With a faint beam of light still peeking over the horizon, I tried to see if any shadows stood out. Before I let myself panic, I decided to probe further. Maybe it was just a lucky guess. I couldn't have been the only person sweating it out to save a little money in my area code. My fingers quickly tapped across the screen to reply. I made mention that it was a lucky guess. In jest, I asked where they were, noting how astronomical the odds of us being actual neighbors would be. Once again... Almost the moment I sent the message, a notification lit up my screen. It was as if the person already had their message typed out. The backyard, it said. Another message quickly followed it, this time containing my home address. I didn't stand there and stare at the message this time. Instead, I stuffed the phone into my pocket and started moving towards my number neighbor's supposed location. When I got close to the kitchen, which had a large sliding glass door that overlooked my backyard, I stopped. With my hands on the doorway, I slowly peeked around the corner to try and get a look at the yard. The first thing that became clear was that the motion light hadn't been triggered, and since by then, the sun was no longer offering light. It was difficult to make anything out. I felt the rhythmic beating of my heart as I peered into the darkness, trying to get my eyes to adjust. Either there was no one there, or whoever was there had been standing pretty damn still for a long time. My heart nearly stopped working altogether when my phone vibrated once again. My senses were so on edge, it felt like my whole leg was trembling. Ducking back behind the doorframe, with the glow of my mobile screen the only source of light, I realized just how dark it had become. Don't be afraid. We're neighbors now. The latest message read. Just as I finished reading it, beams of light pierced through the dark and pressed against my back. The motion light had been triggered. Though my body was shaking and I wanted to shut down, I fought the urge and went to make a call to emergency services. But as soon as I clicked the icon to dial a number, I received another text. 
it said. We're neighbors, Darcy. The message halted my movements. It would be one thing if the person knew my name, but so few people call me Darcy. My finger lowered to press against the number nine. We're neighbors, Darcy. An identical message came through again. And when the notification for the text went away, it repeated yet again. One after another, the same text appeared at the top of my phone. I could feel the phone rattling consistently as the stream of notices struggled to come through. They just kept coming in, faster than my phone could keep up with, the number of notifications at the top ever growing and quickly numbering in the hundreds. When I was finally able to press the one key, getting closer to making my call, I watched in horror as my input failed to register and the phone began to lag. All the texts coming in were slowing my phone down dramatically. My breath caught in my lungs after I pressed the final button, and I waited for the number I'd just called to appear on the screen. Finally it did, and I let out the breath I'd been holding. With a relieved sigh, I pressed the green key to initiate the call. All the while, I continued to be bombarded with the same message over and over again. Before I could even bring the phone up to my ear, however, the screen flickered to darkness. I could barely see myself in the reflection of the blank screen. I could see myself just enough to watch the expression on my face drop. I was so caught up in my emotions, I hadn't even noticed how hot the phone in my hand had been getting. The device was working overtime, trying to get through all of the messages. I cursed myself for not buying a newer phone model. With the phone overheating, it must have just shut itself down or outright died. Either way, I was left completely alone and defenseless. With the motion light having gone out again, I had no idea where my number neighbor was anymore. I clutched the phone and tried to steady my breathing, but my efforts to calm myself were cut short as I heard a distinct crash coming from my living room. The sound of something hard, puncturing a window. I recoiled in response to the impact and waited for something else to happen. If someone was going to climb in, they would have to make a bit of noise and give away their position. But I heard nothing. Only my hot, stifled breath filled the air. Then there was a click. A simple turning of a dial that caused my noisy AC unit to rattle to life and begin humming. It occurred to me that any shuffling sounds from outside would easily be drowned down by the noise that my air conditioner was producing. Quickly, I turned and made my way to the back door. I thought if I was fast enough, I could make it out before the person got back. The light hadn't gone off yet, so I thought it was safe to make a run for it. Approaching the sliding glass door, my hopes were quickly dashed. The light hadn't gone off again, because it had been dismantled. There it lay discarded on the patio, bits of it laying around like it had been mauled. Panic set in as I realized the broken light had company. An imposing figure, a man easily the size of a bear, stood just inches behind it. My eyes shut tight 
and I could feel thin veins of liquid being pushed out onto my cheeks. The man stepped forward and placed his hand at the door, and with one quick movement, the wooden rod locking the door snapped, and the door was pried open. The splintering of the rod sounded like bones being bent in half, which served to remind me of my own frailty. There was no time to think or try to concoct a plan as the intruder started advancing. Only my instinct remained. My gut told me to turn and run out the front door as hard and fast as my body would allow. With a pivot of my sweaty bare feet against hardwood floor, I turned my back to my assailant. If I was more alert, I would have noticed the lights and heard the yelling, but all I was focused on was survival. In the chorus, my body made a mad dash to the front door. Before I was able to reach the living room, however, I ran chest-first into something. Out of instinct, I tried to fight against the obstacle. Large hands cupped mine, and two figures moved past me. As my senses returned, I looked into the eyes of the man in front of me and realized... He was wearing a blue uniform, bathed in the light of red sirens. Yet the two men that were shouting commands began to restrain my number neighbor as the officer who caught me tried to calm me down. With my cell phone still in my hand, I pressed the power button and repeatedly asked if my call made it through. I didn't get an answer at the time. My number neighbor didn't put up much of a fight. With two pistols aiming his way, he became a lot more submissive. Before I really got a good look at the guy, they were pulling him out through my busted front door. Officer McKinley, the one who I ran into, helped me calm down and made sure I felt safe before he answered any questions. When the time was right, I asked again how the cops knew what was going on, and if my call managed to get through. We got a call, but no one was on the other line, so we decided to come check it out, Officer McKinley said with a gentle smile. I asked him why they would investigate a call without any information or how they knew what house to go to. I'm chief of police, so no one can really tell me no. After a while, you develop a hunch for these things, he explained. Even in the dim light, I could see the sharp features of his face. What's your number? He questioned. I rationalized that he needed to know for his report, so I read the number off. Once I finished reading it, he let out a booming laugh that echoed through the house. <laughs> That's crazy, he said. We're number neighbors. <laughs> Can you believe that? He laughed as he held up his phone and my eyes scanned the number. It was exactly like mine, except the last digit was a four instead of a three. My stomach and his cheerful expression dropped in tandem and he looked down at his phone, quickly typing a message. I couldn't take my eyes off him until I felt the buzz from my pocket. A new message from the same number that had sent me over 300 of the same messages, but the newest one read, No one will ever believe you. He held the phone he just messaged me with up to his face and twisted it left and right as he mouthed the word burner before smiling ear to ear. Have a good night, Darcy, he stated, almost a command, as he placed his pointer finger under my chin and flashed a quick wink. 
After everyone had left me with two broken doors and a smashed window, I decided to find a motel to sleep in until they were fixed. I didn't want to risk going to my parents' place. I'm here now, in this shitty motel, unsure of my next move or how I'm to handle this. I don't know who the larger man was, but I know criminals will do anything to lower their sentence. All I know is that my number neighbor can go fuck himself. I hope you enjoyed Never Meet Your Number Neighbor by author J.R.T. McMahon, as performed by Jason Hill. If you enjoyed what you heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. And to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, Euphoric, for their support of this show. Don't forget, a limited supply of free trials of Euphoric have just been released nationwide. Just visit this website, ChewThisGum.com, to claim your free trial today while supplies last. Again, that website is ChewThisGum.com. ChewThisGum.com. Like I said earlier, you only need to try Euphoric once to see what all the fuss is about. And you won't be sorry you did. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and it's been a pleasure as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Jack. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel. Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, 
subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode, and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week, and don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing. Leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>